Welcome to the Celtic Way podcast, where we look to bring a fresh vision of spiritual life by nurturing a vibrant, evolving, and sustainable life with God in nature. Celtic spirituality is an ancient tradition of seeing God in everyone and in everything. This episode of the Celtic Way podcast is dedicated to Kristen Britt. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this premiere episode of the Celtic Wave podcast. My name is Matt Kinzera, and I am humbled and honored to be here today with co-founders of Celtic Way, Scott Jenkins, the creative director, and Terry Thompson, the executive director. Now, I think it's always important to know who you're listening to. So, Scott and Terry, why don't you start by just sharing a little bit about yourselves? My wife and I, Chris, have been married for 33 years. Between us, we're a blended family. We have four daughters, 18 grandchildren, and two great-grandchildren. So I always tease people like, my daughters only learned one Bible verse in the whole world, and that was go forth and multiply. (laughs) So now we're a great family. Uh, When Chris and I moved to Colorado, they all followed us out here, and we're very close. My journey has to do with, I grew up in Iowa. Life was difficult there. My father was a World War II veteran and life was difficult. I'll just leave it at that. Eventually, my roots lied in an evangelical conversion coming out of a drug culture and moving to San Diego, California and going to a Nazarene college on the coast there where I discovered more deeply God and and much more deeply surfing. Really enjoyed that environment there. We had two private beaches, I'll just throw that in. Rough life. Rough life. And from there, I chose to go to Berkeley, California, to the Graduate Theological Union and completed my Master of Divinity there. Wandered around the Lutheran Church for a while, was not a good fit. Eventually left and worked for a social service agency for a while. And then missed being in the parish setting and found my way to the Ecumenical Catholic Communion where I was um, at St. Matthew's in the city of Orange, and eventually moved out to Aurora, Colorado, where I served as pastor for Church of the Holy Family for almost 20 years. During that time, I also took on the reins of being the chaplain for the staff at Mile High Ministry, which I'm still doing today part-time. So I've been there for 15 years. And during my time at Holy Family, I went to the Vincentian School for spirituality and work for two years and earned my spiritual director's certificate. And when I left Holy Family, I went to Richard Rohr's living school for two years where I, they don't call it graduated, Matt, where you've completed that segment of your studies. And it's called the living school for a reason. It just continues through your whole life. And that was very impactful. I hope that gives you a sense about who I am, my educational experience, background. That's perfect. Thanks, Scott. How about you, Terry? I was raised by um, an Italian immigrant family. My upbringing was Roman Catholic, and uh, I left the church at a very young age. I I just didn't feel like the role that women played and the way that we didn't have choices about birth control and things like that. I, I, although I was raised by my grandmother who was, what do we call her? A mystic. My grandmother was a mystic. She was, she just embedded in me this spirituality and this, this divine interpretation of life. 
that when I left the church, it was very difficult for me. And I left the church when I was probably 17, 18, probably when I needed my religious community the most. And I was on my own for quite some time and um, eventually got married. And I found St. Matthew's, which was an old Catholic church. I was looking to be married. I didn't want my grandmother to roll over in her grave. So I wanted to find a priest that would marry me. I was marrying somebody who was previously divorced, Methodist, and I wanted to be married on the beach, but I wanted a Catholic <laughs> wedding. So it, it, I was. I found um, this old Catholic church, which was St. Matthew's, who was the founding community of the Ecumenical Catholic Communion, and uh, was married by Bishop Peter, who then was Father Peter at St. Matthew's. I was happily married, came out to Colorado, and, and Scott and I have in common that we, we enjoy the beaches of Southern California. Um, I was born and raised there. So coming to Colorado and being married and starting to raise a family, I left religion behind until I had my first daughter, and I really wanted my children to be raised with what I was raised with, and that is a spiritual foundation without being a hypocrite and going to some Roman Catholic church. So I called St. Matthew's, and they happened to have an independent Catholic church here in Aurora, where I then had my daughter baptized. And shortly after, Scott and Chris came to uh, be a part of that community. That was the intersection of him being the ecumenical Catholic deacon and then coming out here and uh, pastoring the community. And uh, from there, we started um, Church of the Holy Family, uh, we sprouted a, a little community, and it was just a Shangri-La of just goodness. I mean, we we really had was a great, great community. Mm -hmm. um, and from there, the ECC grew, and we were leaders in this national movement. We were leaders in the community together, and uh, we did that for 15 years. Um, the Ecumenical Catholic Communion still to this day is thriving in the United States and across Europe, and it's for disenfranchised Roman Catholics. Um, we used to say that Roman isn't the only way to be Catholic. And, and during our time together uh, at Holy Family, we started Celtic Masses. And coming from a farming Italian community, I was always, I didn't, I didn't care for a lot of the convention a lot of the man-made rules, a lot of the ways that we had to be, I to I tolerated it. But I was a leader, and I and I really I, I respected it. As we started doing our Celtic masses, mm. we just stepped into what felt like old sandals. Oh, I love that analogy of it feeling like old sandals because so often when we're looking for something, we don't really know what we're looking for, but when we find it, we know it. Now, my understanding, Terry, is that some of the roots of Celtic Way actually began through a school project that you were engaged with. I was finishing my degree, which was a bucket list thing. I went back to DU and I was really fortunate to get a really amazing scholarship. Went back and finished my degree and my minor was in nonprofit leadership. And I started a study an independent study and what would my dreams be if I could start my own nonprofit. And from there, Celtic Way was born and Scott and I had always talked about what would he do after he retired from pastoral ministry. So it, it mutated and much of what you see on the website is, is my capstone. We dream weaved it and it nice. was just like, what if we could do anything, what would we do? You know, we would want to bring the spirituality to the world in a way that is non-denominational and that people can find their way into something without forsaking 
anything else. Now we'll get into this a little bit more as we go on today, but I think that's a key point to make too, Terry, is that Celtic spirituality can exist in the midst of your normal spiritual practices. It's not as if you have to completely leave something to start practicing in the Celtic tradition. Now, my understanding, Scott, is that the launch of Celtic Way actually involved John Philip Newell. Now, for those of you who don't know who John Philip Newell is, he's a poet, peacemaker, author, minister, and he's really acclaimed for his work in the field of Celtic spirituality. So share with us a little bit about his role in kicking off Celtic Way. So my wife works at St. John's Episcopal Cathedral, and they had sponsored on a winter night uh, for John Philip to come and speak. And I, I didn't know who he was. I didn't know anything about Celtic spirituality. Somebody in our church bought us some tickets, remember? And we remember. went. We all went. And then we got there late, which kind of ticked me off a little bit um, because I like to be early. My dad was a Marine Corps sergeant, and uh, we had to sit up close to the front. Remember that? So Right up front. And I'm sitting there thinking, what is this Celtic Christianity? What is this, you know? And John Phillips started laying all this out. It was like, in one way, you're saying something to me new, but in another way, you're saying something to me that's already in here. And it just came alive for me. And it was it was exhilarating for me. And I'm going to tell you, Matt, it was also troubling. Yeah. Because all my Catholic and, and sort of orthodox beliefs were just being shaken down at the foundation, you know. So, of course, my solution was to buy like three or four of John Phillips' books and start reading them and dialoguing with them. And, and Terry was on our leadership council at, at the church, and I confided in her. I said, I'm going through this huge transition, and it's just hard to get up and preach on Sunday mornings. And I think it was Terry who said, maybe we should create a Celtic mass and do it once a month on Saturday night. And I was like, bingo, that's it. Well, I thought there'd be a lot of them online and I could just cut and paste them. Nothing. There weren't any. So I had to write them, which made me become even more immersed into studying because I have to put stuff out there. That's right. Anyway, so we had the launch event and because I was chaplain at Mile High Ministry downtown, I had all these connections ecumenically all over Denver, all over Aurora. So then came a whole sweeping, making networking contacts, having coffee, listening to people who would say to me, institutional religion is not doing it for me anymore. And, and Terry was already feeling that and speaking that. And I thought, it's time for me to retire and do something in the Celtic Christian spirit. I didn't want to always show up at a, a church building. I wanted to take this beyond because I wanted people to know who maybe had been in the church at one time, but now found it wanting to meet them in a place on their own turf. Well, by the way, Scott wants to take it to pubs. We haven't done that just yet, right. but yeah. I think it only it's makes coming. Sense. If you're doing the Celtic way, it only makes sense to do it in a pub, I would say. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, I'm on your God side, bless Scott. You. <laughs> yeah. So for a person who might be hearing this, and I, I'll tell you that if I heard this conversation 
five to 10 years ago, it would have got my mind spinning and excited. Could you do your best to just share what Celtic Way is? What's the goal? What's the purpose? What does it stand for? So many people have moved away from organized religion. And while it has its good and its bad, right? What I got growing up from my little Italian grandmother, who is just such a wonderful visionary woman, saved my life on more than one occasion. And I wanted to give something back to my children. And that was why, selfishly, I just threw myself into Holy Family, into the Ecumenical Catholic Communion. And as as time went on, I just realized how many people just don't make time for religion anymore. And organized religion is such a taboo thing. It's sad that we don't make time to work on our spiritual interior anymore, that we don't take time to understand that God is in everything and that we're all intertwined in this world. And that if we don't look through that perspective, we miss it. We're so busy doing and achieving and goal-oriented that we just miss those gifts that come to us every day. So in this, the ambiguity of Celtic Way is that much like a Native American tradition, God is in everything. And if you look at nature and you just take time out of your day, the moments, the, the wonderful moments, you know, that you can see God appear to you in people and in the everyday moments of your life. And you can look into someone's eyes and you can connect with them because we are all interconnected. And if we can just teach people that perspective, and in this case, it's Celtic spirituality and a Christian purview. So it is important for me to say that we're not doing a brand new thing. We are actually returning to a very ancient way of being a Christian-centered community that, as Terry expressed, believes strongly that God has revealed God's self in nature, and I might even make it larger in matter, right? Enfleshment, incarnation, embodiment. So that I think the problem with the church today is it separates spirit and matter. And the ancient way of being Christianity was to say, no, God has incarnated God's self in Jesus, the Christ, and therefore has embodied himself in all of creation, right? So there's a difference between embodiment and incarnation. There is one incarnation. That is the second person of the Trinity and so on, and Jesus the Christ. But God, when God created the world and said, this is good, and created humanity and said, this is very good, then the embodiment, the presence, the life-giving spark of this divine creator is found and visibly recognized if we cultivate the awareness to find God in everyone and everything. And the important thing is what Terry said, then the realization comes that we're not a dominant piece on this planet. We are part of. We have integrated ourselves. And if we are, as Genesis says, to have dominion over this earth, it is to have dominion as a loving 
benevolent, self-sacrificing royalty would have as a servant over the creation. To know that we're interconnected means that how we treat what's out there is how we treat one another and ourselves. And what's in here. And what's in here. So that's very important. We're not doing a new thing. We're, doing, we're bringing back an ancient thing. And, the, and the, what flows out of the whole creation story is that when God says, let us create humanity in our image, it means that in every human being, this divine image of God is growing and, and being nurtured and is becoming, right? Everything is evolutionary. Everything is in process. Everything is becoming and growing and maturing. And that's really important because then the image of God and so many, and Matt, you know this, we've talked about this, people, Christian people emphasize Genesis 3 about the fall. Oh, Adam and Eve sinned. Eve. <laughs> <laughs> Go Eve! <laughs> Adam and Eve sinned and so on and so forth. And woe is me. And how you take that story is going to determine how you see the coming of the Messiah and our place in the Judeo-Christian tradition. You know, because we believe as Celtic Christian people that the divine spark may have been damaged in the fall. But it has not been obliterated as Luther and Calvin and all these other people say it has been. That we simply do not believe we're strong enough to destroy what God has created within us. So then the coming of Jesus takes on a whole new aspect. Jesus came here to remind us, reorient us, to remind us why we're here, who we are, and how to love. And in the process, he angered religious and political leaders who hated each other, by the way. He angered them enough to bring them together to plot against him and to kill him. And in that sad and tragic and brutal death, we can see the extent of just how far God will go to say, I love you. the reasons I got involved with this Celtic Way podcast project is because if religion or faith are going to mean anything, they have to matter in our culture and reality today. And I believe with all my heart that the Celtic tradition absolutely matters today. Galatians was written by Paul to a region that was originally settled by Celtic people. And in that letter, he starts listing in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, rich nor poor, male or female, right, Gentile or Jew. And today, that list can go on. Frankly, American Christians need to 
owned that and led that. Pardon me. One, you know, being a female growing there up in an Italian immigrant family, I mean, I've had my fair share of, of being treated unfairly. So we represent the voices of all people who have not been treated equally. If you look at our list of principles and those things that guide us, every single thing is relevant in today's society. This has been relevant all along. When you think about the pandemic, Matt, the pandemic is a global event, unlike we've ever seen before. We know this. But it's a clear reminder to me, we are not the dominant species on this planet like we like to think we are. That some little virus can come along and stop us cold in our tracks. So realizing who we are on this planet is a huge part of our spirituality. Therefore, ecology, which cannot get lost underneath the umbrella of the sadness of this pandemic, we are in an ecological crisis. And Christianity can no longer sit back and do what we've done in the past, that here's our spiritual world and here's the material world. No, 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 no. Ecology must be wed into the creeds of the church. It must become part of the fabric of our belief system, how we live our lives, and for the sake of our children and our grandchildren. And the whole thing about, and Terry, she's so good about bringing this home again and again, how everything and everyone is interconnected is an automatic doorway between the walls that we have built towards other religions of the world. And if we walk through life with our eyes wide open through this lens, it changes everything. It does. It changes everything. Just the being cognizant, opening your eyes, looking around, seeing what's going on, not judging, but just being a different way. I don't know everything. I'm not going to tell you how to live your life, but I'm going to live my life in a way and teach my children to live a life in, in a way that respects and honors everything around us. And that's those that are make us uncomfortable. And when you see something wrong happening, stand up for it. It's overwhelming, but we all have to believe that we can make a difference because we are interconnected. It seems to me that everything in our culture seems to bring about division. Everything gets politicized and everything is just tearing apart at the fabric of who we are. Whereas everything that Celtic Way represents is like a grand bringing together where everything and everyone belongs. But doesn't it just boil down to love? If you love the planet, if you love one another, if you love your children, if you love your fellow human beings, if you just live in a place that's love, and honor, then the rest just falls into place. I don't think the first question a Celtic Way person is going to ask is, what do you believe about? I think what we're going to ask, really want to know about you is, tell me about how you live your life, how you pray, how you serve. we got to get beyond this, what do you believe, to how do we live. We become aware in a mystical, contemplative way of God who is deeply present within us and all around us and in everything that lives. And it brings God home here. 
where before I used to live in my rational intellectual self all the time. Now it becomes a very heart-centered path and it just opens me up to seeing people differently. Thank God to seeing myself differently and to really see the sacredness of the earth. Thank you for joining us for this premiere episode of the Celtic Way podcast. New episodes come out on the first and third Tuesdays of every month. If you'd like to support this podcast, please subscribe, give it an honest rating and a review. This is the best way to get the podcast in front of as many people as possible. Visit our website at CelticWay.org and subscribe to our updates. While you're there, please consider becoming a sustainable donor so that the message of Celtic Way can continue to influence the world today. Also, like us on Facebook at Celtic Way Colorado. Special thanks to Gary Davidson for all of the original music in this episode.